today's reading is from Exodus 13, verse 17, through chapter 14, verse 31. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zaphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots, and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth, in front of Baal-Zaphon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptians on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You know, I was thinking about it, and I realized you could summarize today's story as the Lord takes his children to the beach. However, this is no ordinary trip to the shorefront. You know, the first thing we notice is how Israel packed for her trip to the beach. She took something with her that, I don't know, I've never packed up and taken to the beach with me. In chapter 13, verse 19, you might have heard, it says that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Friends, what do we find going on here? The Lord is right now faithful. He's showing himself to be faithful to fulfill all of his promises to Israel. And Joseph had faith in the Lord. He knew that although he had been used of the Lord to lead the people into Egypt and to save not only Egypt, but the whole surrounding region from a famine, he knew that Israel's time in Egypt was only ever going to be temporary. Because he knew the Lord was faithful to fulfill his promises. And the Lord had fulfilled, had made a promise to his people and said, I will give you a land, the land of Canaan. 
And so Joseph knew from the very beginning, our time in Egypt is temporary. And when that time ends, he told his descendants in Genesis 50, take my bones with you out of Egypt. So what's going on here? Friends, it's all coming true. The Lord is faithful to his promises. And Joseph knew that the Lord would be faithful and said, take my bones with you. And so the Lord is faithfully removing his people from Egypt. And so complete is this deliverance and this removal that we've been reading about the last few weeks. So complete is the deliverance, not even the bones of Joseph are going to remain in Egypt when God's done. God is going to completely deliver his people from Egypt just as he promised. The Lord is faithful. Joseph trusted and clung to those promises. Israel believed that promise. Will we cling to the promises of the Lord today and trust His faithfulness as the Lord did? Because we see they pack for this beach trip and Israel sets out. The final plague has fallen. Egypt's devastated. The firstborn is dead, as we read last week. Israel's set free. They have been forcibly expelled from Egypt by Pharaoh himself. He said, get out, go, leave. And the first thing that we see is that the Lord's taking his people on a journey, but he doesn't take them directly. Did you notice at the very beginning of what Karen read for us? The Lord takes them the long way around. He takes them the long way around. The very first verses that Karen read, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God took his people on this journey, but he took them the long way around. And why was that? God knew that his people were armed, but they were not ready. They were not ready. This was a tender and a vulnerable time for Israel. She might have just been set free from Egypt, but she was still tempted to return, and she was still terrified of her old slave master, Pharaoh. So the Lord took her, it says, the long way around, because he knew her weakness, and he knew that she would be tempted and terrified. And friends, maybe you wonder why God's bringing you the long way around in your life. Maybe... You think, you know, I thought I would have arrived much sooner. Maybe I thought I would have been married much sooner or would have had children much sooner or accomplished this goal much sooner or reached that milestone much sooner or gotten healthy much sooner or conquered this struggle much sooner. Why is God bringing me the long way around? Why doesn't He just bring me there? And friends, could it be that just as God knew Israel wasn't ready, that she was still vulnerable So he brought her the long way around out of compassion for her. Maybe God's bringing you the long way around in your life out of compassion for you. Because in his mercy, he's steering you clear of temptation. He's steering you clear of terror that would overpower you, just as he was doing for his people Israel. The Lord knew Israel wasn't ready to face the Philistines or war. And so the best way to get Israel safely to her destination was the long way around. And friends, if God's taken you on the long way around in your life, know that God is not deaf to your cries. He's not ignoring your prayers. He knows your weakness. And the question for Israel and the question for us is, will you trust his leading? 
Will you trust His timing, even if in your life He's taking you the long way around? Now, now the Lord knows that while Israel has been set free, the final plague fell. Israel expelled them from Egypt. He knows that Israel is now free. She's been delivered. The problem is, while you can take Israel out of Egypt, it's harder to take Egypt out of Israel. The Lord knows that Israel is going to be tempted to return to slavery. Because, friends, you know this from your life, too. For as miserable as it is, often the slavery that we know is more tempting than the freedom we don't know. And the Lord knows that Israel is going to be tempted to return to Egypt. Tempted to the old life because while it was slavery, the discomfort actually started to feel comfortable after a while. The ordeal she was going through started to feel ordinary, and the suffering felt like just sameness. And so the possibility of return still exists, and Israel is tempted to return, even having been delivered. So although Israel's been set free, she's tempted to return. But more than that, although Israel's been set free from Pharaoh, from her old slave master, what we find is that Israel is still terrified of her old slave master. And in fact, might be tempted to return to try to appease his anger. So she might be tempted to return or terrified into returning, like an abused woman who's finally broken free from the oppression and manipulation of an abusive husband. Israel's been set free, but she's still vulnerable. She might be tempted to return or terrified by her abuser into returning. So the Lord has, pur- has purpose to cut off completely any chance of Israel ever returning to slavery in Egypt. The beginning of chapter 14, we heard the Lord tell Moses, set up camp by the sea because the Lord intends to completely and totally end Pharaoh's reign of terror over you. And in verse, chapter 14, verse 4, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. He'll pursue the Israelites. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord. The only way to guarantee that Israel is going to remain free is to completely cut off the temptation to return and completely and finally end Pharaoh's reign of terror. So the Lord takes his children on a trip to the beach. And there's Israel having a marvelous camping trip on the shores of the Red Sea when all of a sudden, what would have been a wonderful day, the dark clouds of thunder of Pharaoh's chariots start to roll in on the horizon because Pharaoh's heart's been hardened, his mind's changed, and he's now pursuing Israel with the heavy artillery. Chariots were the tanks of that generation. It didn't matter how many people of Israel there were on foot. 600 chariots were going to run them down. It was going to be a slaughter. And so as the chariots drew near, you can hear the terror in Israel's voice as she cries out. Chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt? You've taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out to Egypt? Is it not this what we said you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Friends, Israel sees 
her old abuser coming and is so terrified she immediately prepares to return. Israel seems to say, you know, maybe loud enough so Pharaoh can hear, we didn't want to leave in the first place. No, seriously, Pharaoh, it was all his idea. It was Moses' idea. We never wanted to leave you. No, no, we want to serve you. We would never betray you, Pharaoh. No, please take us back and don't hurt us. Israel's like an abused spouse. She's terrified by Pharaoh and yet ready to return and try to appease his anger. The power of Pharaoh over Israel needs to be broken once and for all. Israel needs to be delivered far beyond Pharaoh's reach. And so terrified are the Israelites that they're ready to return. And Moses says, no. No. He responds to the terrified Israelites in verses 13 and 14. And Moses says to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see them again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. He says, Pharaoh's terrifying. But let me remind you of something. The Lord's power is more terrifying. And he's fighting for you. You remember those plagues? The Lord's power is more terrifying. And the one who has set you free is going to fight to make you free. The one who started this deliverance will not abandon you. The one who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion. Friends, the Lord has not saved and rescued you to abandon you now. The same power that has delivered us is the power that will fight for us. The same power that has freed us is the power that wants to set us free completely from the influence of our old slave master of sin. So when the terror of the old life threatens you, when the memories of your old slave master of your sin and power appears on the horizon, arrayed with chariots and horses against you, when you're tempted to despair and say, I'll never actually be free, and you're tempted to give up and just return to your old master, when you're tempted to go and indulge that drink, that look, that hit, that lie, that habit, that anger, that unforgiveness, that lust, remember, it's the Lord who fights for you. He who has freed you wants to completely free you. The Lord will fight for you. He set you free. He's setting you free. And He will set you free. We've talked before, friends. Our salvation is past, present, and future. It's past, present, and future. The Lord has already set us free from the penalty of sin by what Christ has done. The Lord is presently setting us free from the power of sin in our life by the work of His Holy Spirit. And one day in the future, the Lord will return and free us from sin's presence when Jesus returns and He makes all things new. In fact, at the end of today's service, we're going to sing, O for a thousand tongues to sing. And we will declare that Jesus breaks the power of canceled sin. Because just like the power of Pharaoh had been broken over Israel, they were no longer slaves to him, but yet I guess his power was still over them because he still terrified them. His, his ownership of them was canceled, but his power needed to be broken. 
And friends, it's the same for us. In Jesus Christ, we might have been set free from sin. It's power broken. It's, it's influence over us broken, but it's power. It's lingering power. The temptation to return needs to be canceled, needs to be done away with. It's as we sang this morning in opening the service. We, we said, be of sin a double cure. Save from wrath and make us pure. Save us from the wrath, the penalty of sin, and then make us pure. Save us from the power of sin. Lord, fight for us until we are free. Church, He who has saved you will not abandon you. He who began a good work in you will carry that work on until completion. Will you submit yourself to the Lord who fights for you? See our problem? Our, our real problem is that we're too much like Israel. You, you heard what Israel did when she saw the old slave master on the horizon. She was ready to return. She was fearful. And she loudly grumbled and whined and complained. And don't we do the same? You know, we live in a culture of oversharing. We're encouraged all the time. Oh, be authentic. Be real. And we share all that we're thinking and all that we're feeling all the time. But friends, venting and spewing your frustrations is not a virtue. It's a sign of faithlessness. Spewing your frustrations is not a virtue. It's a sign of faithlessness. Israel didn't trust the Lord, so what did she do? She spewed her frustration. She complained about Him. She whined about what God had arranged and complained about what He would provided. And don't you and I do the same thing? And we usually cover it up. I'm just being real. Just, just being my authentic self. And it's a cover-up for our faithless hearts. So maybe we should take Moses' advice here. Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only be silent. If you'll forgive me, in the vernacular, Moses says, the Lord will fight for you, so shut up. Shut off your complaining. Shut off your whining. Shut off your grumbling. The Lord will fight for you, so shut up and look up. Stop complaining. Start trusting. The Lord will fight for you. Israel, do you believe that? Friends, do you believe that? The Lord will fight for you. Now, we need to take note of the Lord's response to Moses in verse 15. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the Lord doesn't say, Why do y'all or you all, plural, cry out to me? He actually uses the singular here. Why do you cry out to me? Friends, Moses isn't the one crying out and complaining. I don't know if you noticed. It's the people who are, yet the Lord speaks to Moses as if he's the one crying out and complaining. Why do you cry out and complain to me? The Lord speaks to Moses as if Moses represents the entire people of Israel. And you might have noticed, but in verses 10 and 11, something similar happened. When Pharaoh appeared on the horizon in verse 10, it says the people of Israel cried out, who? To the Lord. And immediately in verse 11, it says, they said to Moses. They cried to the Lord. They said to Moses, to whom are they speaking? Are they talking to the Lord? Or are they talking to Moses? Israel speaks to Moses 
as if they are speaking to the Lord Himself. Friends, Moses served as a representative of the people to the Lord and a representative of the Lord to the people. Moses is the mediator. He's the go-between. If Israel's going to be saved, she needs a mediator between God and the people. And the Lord has provided Moses as a mediator. He represents the Lord to the people. He represents the people to the Lord. The problem with Moses, though, is that he's like you and me. He's imperfect. So his representation is imperfect. He can't perfectly and completely represent the Lord to the people because he's not God. And Moses can't perfectly and completely represent the people before the Lord because he himself is sinful and imperfect. So he himself needs a mediator. So while the Lord used Moses powerfully as a mediator for Israel in this situation, if we ever hope to be completely and perfectly saved, we need a better mediator than Moses. And friends, the gospel, the good news, is that the Lord has sent us a better mediator than Moses. A perfect mediator. And that is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul celebrates in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 5, there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ was fully God. He was able to perfectly represent to us God. And Jesus Christ was fully human, yet unlike us, He was without sin. So He was able to perfectly represent humanity to God without need of another mediator. Jesus Christ is the perfect mediator between God and humanity. Friends, there's no other go-between. There's no other mediator for you and I today. There's no other way to God. The good news is that there's a way at all to God. And the really good news is it's available to all through His Son, Jesus Christ, the perfect mediator between God and man. And the question for you and I is, have we trusted? Have we trusted the mediating work of Jesus Christ on our behalf? Because just as Israel could not deliver herself, just as Israel could not mediate for herself, she needed a mediator. Friends, we can't deliver ourselves. And we can't mediate with God for ourselves. We need a mediator. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ and His mediation? Have you trusted in what He has done that we might come to God? And the question was, was Israel going to trust the command comes, go forward. Go forward, Israel. Yeah, I know there's an ocean in front of you. Go for it. We hear the Lord command His people forward, and what happens? The Lord goes behind them. The pillar of cloud and fire has been leading before them. Now it moves behind them and protects them from the Egyptians. And then we read in verses 21 through 22, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back, and it made the bell ring. That was pretty amazing. That was impressive. Alright, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now this is famous. We've seen this happen with Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt by DreamWorks, so many other media representations of this. Now, now some people have objected. 
They've objected to all of these different media depictions of the parting of the Red Sea, you know, because they, they say, you know, first of all, the text doesn't say exactly how deep the water was when Israel crossed. And they postulate, well, maybe where they crossed, it really wasn't that deep. So maybe this wasn't really a supernatural event, and maybe this wasn't really as big a deal as we see it portrayed in the media. And secondly, others argue the text doesn't say exactly what the water looked like as they crossed. As Israel passed through, were there really those like big, towering walls of water that we see in, in again, the Ten Commandments or any of these other movies? Was this really a supernatural event? Was this really done by God, or was this just a really happy coincidence or good choice of place to pass through to see? Well, to the first objection, let me share a story told by another pastor. There was a pastor, and he told the story of a, of a liberal minister who was preaching in an old Bible-believing church. And at a certain point in this pastor's sermon, the, the minister referred to the crossing of the Red Sea, and there was a congregant out there who yelled, Praise the Lord! Taking them all through the deep waters. What a mighty miracle. But the minister was having none of it because he didn't believe in miracles. So he said condescendingly, it was not a miracle. They were in marshland. The tide was ebbing. And the children of Israel just picked their way across six inches of water. And the man in the congregation yelled, praise the Lord! Drowning the Egyptians in only six inches of water. What a mighty miracle. Friends, no, the text does not tell us exactly how deep the water was where Israel crossed, but the text clearly tells us that Pharaoh and his army were all drowned in the water when they returned. And in fact, it says they were covered by the water, and I imagine they were more than a few inches tall. And for them to drown, and then for bodies to wash up on the seashore, as it says in verse 30, there had to have been some significant water. How much, we don't know. But it had to have been significant. And to the second point, while it's true the text doesn't tell us specifically the height of those walls of water on either side of the Israelites as they pass through, the Hebrew here literally does say a wall, which is the normal word that's used for a wall of a building, like that wall right over there. Now, it doesn't say height, but you know what? Wall, that is not a natural posture for water, at least not for a long period of time. So the fact that the water was described as being maintained as walls, we don't know the height, but as walls, that's not natural. Friends, something supernatural was happening. Those who would try to eliminate or just downplay the supernatural crossing of the Red Sea, they're going to find it difficult. Because while it's true our movie depictions of the Red Sea crossing might not be completely accurate, the Lord's hand is clearly evident throughout the whole crossing. And Israel crossed, and we witnessed them safely delivered through the waters. And then we witnessed Pharaoh and his armies completely destroyed within the waters. The Lord has accomplished His purposes. The Lord has freed Israel completely from the temptation and the terror of Egypt. They cannot return, nor can they be compelled to return. Now they're truly free. This is the Lord's deliverance of Israel. This is a birth story as the waters broke and they passed through the narrow passage and were born as a new people. This was their origin story, their identity. This was celebrated, referenced, repeated throughout and throughout the Old Testament. Friends, this deliverance was good news for Israel. This was really good news 
for Israel because it was freedom. It was a new life, a new identity. But friends, the really good news for you and I today, the really good news for us, is that this deliverance prefigured, anticipated an even greater deliverance that was going to come. In the letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was reflecting on on Israel being led by the pillar of cloud and then passing through the waters of the Red Sea. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, starting in the middle of verse 1, Our fathers were all under the cloud, they all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Baptized into Moses. It's a strange phrase. But here again, what do we find? We find Moses is the mediator. He's the mediator between God and Israel. To be saved, Israel had to be identified with Moses. Baptized through the waters of the Red Sea if they hoped to be saved. And so, friends, what we find is that the Lord did take His children to the beach that day. But it wasn't for fun. It was for a baptism. They were going to pass through the waters baptized into Moses and delivered on the other side new life, a new people of God, a new birth. And friends, the Gospel, the good news is that Jesus Christ has come. He is a better mediator than Moses. He offers a better baptism and He offers an eternal salvation. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 6.3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Friends, we weren't baptized into Moses. He's not our mediator. Christ is our mediator. And just as Israel passed safely through the waters of death and they were birthed to life on the other side, so now we are baptized into Christ's death and birthed into new and eternal life. This is the Gospel. This is the good news that you and I sang together this morning. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. And my fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and say, I'm a child of God. I've been born again as your child. This is my identity. Friends, this is the good news. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your mediator? Have you been baptized into His death? Have you been birthed into new and eternal life? And if not, then friends, let today become your birthday. I or anyone else you've seen up front here today would love to talk with you more and to pray with you so that you might know the deliverance and the new life that Jesus Christ has come to bring. And church, we who've trusted Jesus Christ as our mediator, who've been baptized into His death, who have been birthed into new and eternal life, have your fears been drowned in Christ's perfect love and salvation? Are you now living your freedom as free men and women? Or are you, like Israel, tempted by your old life? Are you living fearful and terrified of the power of your old slave master of sin? Church, remember that the Christ who saved you from slavery to sin wants to free you from the lingering power of sin over you. As the Apostle Paul wrote in in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Church, the Lord fights for you. So do not give up the fight. 
Do not be tempted to return to your old master. Do not be terrified and submit again to sin. Christ, who began a good work in you, wants to carry it to completion. So submit yourself to Him, for the Lord fights for you. Friends, this deliverance was no mere day at the beach. It was a baptism into new life. And the question for you and me today, is that new life yours and mine? How will you live? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the deliverance that You have brought us in Jesus Christ. Thank You that You've forgiven us. You've forgiven us completely and fully of our sin, but now You work to free us from the power of sin. Thank You that You've offered Yourself as the perfect mediator between God and humanity. The only way that we might be saved. Now guide us, lead us, and be glorified in us and through us. May our trust be in you and in you alone, now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.